And what is your quality of life? The best way to answer this question is to really ask you back, what is it that you value most? And are you doing what you know you can be to increase that? Because if not, maybe you're actively lowering your quality of life by taking inaction. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, I just, I just don't, I'm not making a choice. Well, the lack of choice is a choice itself, whether that's managing my blood sugars, whether that's, you know, improving my relationships, it's hard. And there are days where you're not going to be perfect because that's normal, but we have to do something for something to change. Hello, and welcome to the Art of Living Well podcast. I'm Stephanie May Potter, and I'm here with my co-host, Marnie Dachis-Marmet. We created the Art of Living Well podcast to empower you to live your happiest, healthiest, and most authentic life. Each week, we will bring you inspiring and motivating conversations covering health and wellness topics, including fitness, mindset, food, travel, product reviews, and strategies from a variety of experts, including our own bank of knowledge. We are excited to educate, motivate, and inspire you to change the way you perceive health and discover your art of living well. Get ready to feel inspired. Hello and welcome back to the Art of Living Well podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. But before we dive into our episode, just a couple of quick announcements. One, it is May in Minnesota, and although it has not felt very warm or spring-like, Marnie and I are thinking about upcoming in-person events. If you live in the Twin Cities area, we've typically done a yoga event and um, a combo with wine tasting often. And we're getting ready to announce those shortly. So stay tuned and make sure you sign up for our newsletter, which you can do on our website so that you're the first to hear about these events because space will be limited. And we want to just give a shout out to a recent review that we received. It's from Even Keel Kayla. And she said, I was so thrilled when I stumbled upon two fellow Minnesotans who are as passionate about holistic health as I am. I am continuously blown away by the range of their guests and topics and the depth of their episodes. I look forward to every episode. Thank you so much, Even Keel Kayla, for that awesome review. And if you, as a regular listener, are enjoying our episodes, we would really appreciate if you head on over to Apple Podcast, take two minutes to leave us a rating and review because it really does help us reach more people. And if you enjoy this episode, we would love it if you would share it, share it with a friend, a family member, a neighbor, anyone who you think may benefit from the information. And of course, tag us on social media at the art of living underscore well. And just a reminder that we would love to have you come on for a 15-minute health transformation audit where we bring you, our community members, on to help guide you to identify what's holding you back from your ideal health and wellness. And together, we'll analyze with you so that you can walk away with a tangible action step. We love doing this kind of work as integrative health practitioners and health coaches. Would absolutely love to have you on. It's completely anonymous, except for your name, which we, of course, could always change. So click the link in our show notes or head over to our website and sign up for your 15-minute health transformation audit experience today. And now we are so excited to introduce today's amazing guest, Chris Rudin, a professional keynote speaker who is also a type 1 diabetic 
amputee and has a huge YouTube and Instagram following. Chris is an online fitness and nutrition consultant, mostly for type 1 and type 2 diabetics, and he also coaches clients on how to work past the limitations of their disease and conquer their goals. He helps organizations like Nike, Facebook, and Tommy Hilfiger to create a world without limits and helps global audiences to overcome adversity, improve their physical and mental well-being, and quality of life. Chris is the author of the book, The Upper Hand, and is a world record-holding amputee powerlifter. He's been featured in Men's Health, The Washington Post, Netflix, and more. And he was even on a season of the Titan Games with Dwayne The Rock Johnson, which you'll hear more about in today's episode. So in today's conversation, we're going to really dive in and talk about quality of life. Chris shares a lot of insight about how to find your quality of life in your current situation and why defining what's important to you is the first step. He's also going to share about how to unpack what's holding you back and getting out of those negative patterns and thoughts that may be running through your mind. Chris will, of course, share his journey with his disability and how for a very long time he was really hiding this disability from from everyone and what that pivotal moment was in breaking free and really changing his life's trajectory. We talk a lot about why getting started is really the most important step. A lot of times we, you know, use the excuse that, oh, it's not enough, whether it's only going to the gym one day a week or only reading, you know, a page in your book, but doing something is always better than doing nothing. And really what matters is getting started. And yes, we're going to suck at it in the beginning, but just think of the progress that you can make little by little over time, over the course of months and years. Chris talks about his book, The Upper Hand, and many of the strategies that he shares on how to focus on what you can control and your ability to respond. He also talks a lot about the the self-communication that needs to happen before you can effectively communicate with others and the questions that you can ask yourself to get out of the rut and how not to beat yourself up. And Marnie and I both fall prey to this and it's something myself I'm personally working on and I found this really, really powerful. So we know that that today's conversation is gonna resonate with so many, if not all of you. So with that, let's dive right into this very thought-provoking and inspirational conversation with Chris Rudin. But first, a quick word from our sponsor, Good Health Saunas. I have had my Good Health Sauna for over a year now, and you guys, I love it so much. From the moment of purchase to the delivery and setup, Good Health Sauna staff, they've been absolutely amazing. They've answered all my questions. They did a great job with the setup. And I have started this routine where I'm working out in the morning, I'm taking a sauna, I'm showering, I'm refreshed, and I feel great for the day. And I just feel relaxed during the day. I'm sleeping better at night. And I feel like I'm really adding to my overall health and happiness. And I'm also removing toxins from my body. And I feel amazing. Infrared saunas produce penetrating heat to help you sweat and heal your body from the inside. Sweating on a regular basis in your good health sauna can help you feel rejuvenated. There are so many health benefits of regular infrared sauna use that include detoxification, immune system support, muscle repair, chronic pain relief, relaxation, deeper sleep, and so much more. I've been using my sauna now regularly for the last several weeks and love how relaxed I feel, especially when I do it in the evening as part of my routine. It really helps me unwind from the day and improve my sleep. 
So why not bring the benefits and convenience of the sauna experience into your home with a commercial grade Good Health Sauna? Good Health Sauna has three stores, one at the Mall of America in Minnesota and two in Wisconsin, in Appleton and Waukesha, but they ship anywhere in the U.S. For more information on the various sizes and options and for your special offer for all of our listeners, head on over to their website, www.goodhealthsaunas.com and mention the Art of Living Well podcast. Hi, Chris. Stephanie and I are so excited to have you on our podcast today. We love meeting um, like-minded people in the health and wellness space who have really dedicated their lives to helping others, and you definitely fit that bill. So thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And one thing we really like to ask all our guests at the beginning is if you could share one non-negotiable for you to start each day. Uh, it's about making sure the narrative is correct. The The narrative for me is everything. And it really kind of defines how you're going to go through the moment and through the day. And I find that it's the narrative when we look at people who whether you want to say successful or not, or happy or not, or content or not, the narrative determines quality of life. And I make sure that the narrative starts off on a good foot. Mm, that is so true and such great advice. I love that. What a great way to start your day. So Chris, as we jump in today, we would love to hear your personal story in a nutshell with living um, with and overcoming a disability and adversity and maybe some mental health issues at some points in your life. If you could just talk about that a little bit. Absolutely. So I was born with physical disability. I have two fingers on my left hand and a shorter left arm. And my entire life, I kind of grew up feeling broken. You know, I felt labeled not only by like society, but by myself that I just wasn't enough. I was born wrong, almost, so to speak. And I felt that and I lived that way for the longest time. You know, I hid my hand in my pocket or under a glove for almost 17 years. Everything from being bullied and I guess harassed a majority of my life to being humiliated in front of people because of the way I look and the way I have to function. You know, it took a long time up until four years ago, I was hiding my hand. So I got a cool prosthetic arm, you know, it's super awesome, but I was diagnosed with diabetes at 19 years old. And that was one of the starting points where I was like, Hey, I can't be this disabled diabetic dude. Like it's a joke at this point. Like what can I do with where I'm at? You know, the motivational side is like, what can you do with where you're at to do, make it better? The real side is like, how can I make this suck less? You know, how can I make this suck less? Like there has to be more to life than all of these conditions that I never asked for. I just, I started asking better questions to myself and I slowly started to get out of that slump of feeling broken and feeling like a disabled diabetic guy. And it wasn't until four years ago that I became Chris you know, and now it's my job to teach other people to live their life on their terms and help people see their world without limits. Wow. I didn't realize that was such a, so recent, I guess, yeah. when I was like reading about you and reading your book and that was very recent four years ago. So good for you for doing all that hard work. I appreciate it. It's definitely tough, you know, and 
I've done some cool stuff in my career. I've worked with some awesome people, got my name in some awesome, you know, magazines and TV. But one of the best things is being able to just live my life, do my daily tasks without hiding. And people don't realize how exhausting it is to hide. Actually, maybe people do, you know, for me, it was hiding my hand in a glove. Some people it's putting on a mask or some people it's putting on a a different show or a narrative that kills you on the inside, but you have to smile on the outside because you're trying to hold yourself up for other people. I think a lot of people identify with that. And I was just as tired of identifying with this broken image of a version of a person I never asked to be in the first place. Was there a pivotal moment four years ago or something that happened, you know, after living your life for so many years with this physical disability, what made you wake up one day and decide enough? I'm tech. I guess you could say I'm a motivational speaker. I'm a keynote speaker. I get hired to speak all around the world, but a lot of people think I do this rah, rah, rah stuff. They're just like, woo, positivity, start your day with like a positive quote and you're just amazing. Uh, I'm more of what's called like a cynical realist. Like if the house is on fire, I'm not going to chant positive affirmations. I'm going to get the hell out. You know, like that's, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm going to so. do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also, I don't really personally believe in the disnification of like this one magical moment. You know, I think there's a compound effect in multiple moments that chisel away at that potential of who you could become based on your actions and decisions. And they started chiseling away the actions that weren't serving me anymore. So there was a few moments, you know, uh, one of them being, uh, I was bullied the majority of my life. And I remember one day I was embarrassed, this girl named Crystal, she was the prettiest girl in my school, you know, and, uh, there's like four girls in my school. So that wasn't really fair to say, but (laughs) one of them was the teacher and Crystal was not the teacher, but, um, I finally worked up the courage to ask this girl Crystal out and, uh, I'll never forget going up to her desk and, uh, my friends started laughing and I was like, I stop, you know, what are you doing? And I turn around and Crystal is making fun of my hand with a stapler calling me claw boy. And, uh, she like humiliated me in front of the entire class. And I shoved my hand in my pocket. And when I say I kept my hand in my pocket, I almost got arrested at the Washington DC monument as a kid, because I refused to take my hand out of pocket for security. You know, I, it was that serious. So that moment, I remember going to my mom and she was a nurse and I'm like, mom, why did you do this to me? Like, why would you make me like this? You're a nurse and you help all these other people. Why did you make me like this? Like, why'd you do this? You know? And she like cried. And I remember seeing her break down. That was one of those moments where I was like, this can't happen anymore. You know, like, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to see this anymore. And I, I can't change this, but I have to be able to do something. You know, I didn't know what that something was. And fast forward years later, I went through all of this stuff from struggling to body image issues, to trying to numb the pain by hanging out with the wrong people, doing the wrong stuff, to just pretending like hiding was okay. And I thought I could do it for the rest of my life. You know, I, uh, I was speaking, I became a speaker because I loved helping people. And I remember I had my glove on, but I spoke in front of hundreds, if not thousands of people. And I was like, everyone loves me. This is amazing. Oh my God. People came to see me at this event at the Disney resort. There was like 2000 people there and they wanted to hear me speak. I spent the day with this girl who had just been diagnosed with diabetes. Her name is Maddie. And, uh, she's like nine years old. We're walking down this long corridor and I'd always hit my hand. You know, no one talked about it. I had that confident persona. Like no one's going to talk to me about it because I'm cool. We're good. I'm happy. It's fine. Don't question me. And we're, we're walking down this long hallway and she grabs my left hand, which is like, no, you know, 
she grabs it and she's just swinging it happily. And she looks at me and I'm, I'm rigid, you know, rigor mortis. (laughs) And, uh, she looks at me and she says, it's okay. You don't have to hide around me. I was like, I'm getting teary. Wow. (laughs) So sweet. It, It was crazy though, because like thousands of people were there to see me speak, but that was the only person who saw me. And that was one of those moments where I was like, I got to, I'm worth more. She sees my worth. Why don't I, you know, like I'm mm-hmm. worth more. So I set up this thing. I was like, if I ever got a prosthetic arm, I will stop hiding my hand. I ended up getting approved for a prosthetic arm. I put a YouTube video out just for my own comfort. That time at that time, my uh, girlfriend of four years, it was the first time she saw my hand because she edited my video. Wow. And you had been with her for four years and she had not seen your hand. Yes. That's how serious it was. Okay. So I posted the video just for my own sake. You know, I was like, I was yeah. my coming out moment. And I was like, this is just for me. Little did I know the next morning there was millions of views. And then the rock Dwayne, the rock Johnson ended up calling me <laughs> and all kinds of stuff happened. So it was like, it was pretty chaotic, but my journey was not a pretty one. You know, a lot of people want this pretty Disney moment where it's like, what was that mm-hmm. one thing? The one it thing sounds was like you did have your Disney moment, by the way, but anyway. it was definitely, it was one of them, but there were so many because I wish I could say right after that, I did it, but it was years after that. Still. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just, you know, it, it, yeah. it was a nice moment, but in the moment it sucked. It was terrible in the moment. You know, it, everything kind of sounds good looking back, but going through it just for anyone going through it, you know, your concerns are valid. It's not like if I could go back, I would have done it faster. I should have done it. There's no such thing as should or shouldn't. My journey was my own, just as yours is your own. I just, now I want to help people have better conversations with themselves. And clearly you're doing that. So how did you take these hardships and disability? You know, how did you leverage and repackage, I guess, these limitations and your beliefs to your advantage? And I know like in your book, The Upper Hand, you say in life, things happen that we wouldn't necessarily sign up for, but it's not about what happens to us that's important. What's important is what we do with what happens to us. People drive themselves mad with what ifs and maybe spending so much time coming up with possibilities and zero time on practically practical and actual solutions. Humans have this weird habit of fantasizing about what if or why, or maybe this removes all of our power and removes us from the present. So, you know, Marty and I both saw this quote in your book and it's really powerful. And you're talking about this reframing and mindset change. So can you dive into that a little bit as well? Absolutely. So uh, I'll reiterate that I never want to invalidate feelings because feelings are very real. You know, it's not like, oh, just don't think that those are bad thoughts. I don't like to demonize thoughts. I like to examine them and say like, okay, this is my brain trying to protect me. What can I do to make this a little bit better? Why am I getting these signals? Where are these beliefs coming from? For me, when I was diagnosed with diabetes at 19, I found myself quickly falling into the trap of like, why has this happened? What, where could this come from? Is this my parents? You know, like, did I eat something wrong? What did I do? Trying to find fault, fault, fault. And one, if we look at the physiological response to that, it just increases cortisol, which increases insulin resistance, which makes my blood sugar much worse. So if anything, fault was making things much worse. When I shifted from fault to responsibility, and uh, what I mean about responsibility is not just the technical term of like, yes, I have to do something. But if we break up that word responsibility, we have the ability to respond and we can control that. That's the one thing we can actually control is our ability to respond. It might not be easy, 
but we can do it over time. So I started practicing on my ability to respond. And I was like, okay, if all these what ifs do nothing for me, what will do something for me? I'm like, okay, the way I think and how I react. Everyone Mm -hmm. will come at me and say, easier said than done. And Mm -hmm. I agree with you. I agree with you, but better done than said. That is always the response that needs to follow easier said than done. If not, it is a moot topic and you're going to get nowhere. If you've argued with your significant other and you said easier said than done or with your boss or with anyone, that that stops the conversation. But to continue it, it's better done than said. No one wants to get up and go to work, but they do. Easier said than done, but better done than said. And you prove that every single day. If we use that concept that we already use in our life in other areas, in the areas we need it most, you start to see things change. Not immediately, like my journey, like anyone's journey, not immediately, but indefinitely over time. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so true. I'm just thinking about that, how you said the fault, fault, fault thing. And I'm thinking about even people that get diagnosed with cancer. I've known a number of people now that have had diagnoses recently of various types, and they immediately are looking into themselves. Like, what did I do wrong? You know, it's my fault kind of thing. And I think you're absolutely right. You you need to shift to that responsibility and think about, you know, there's nothing you can do about your diagnosis. So what are you going to do with it moving forward? And what can you take responsibility for? And that's like you said, how you react, how you respond. So I think that's really, really important to think about. I just don't think it's fair to yourself, your the people you love and your future self to reduce your quality of life, to try and change something in the past, which we know we can do nothing about. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's fair. You know, right. I think quality of life is the main goal in everyone. You know, quality of life is what people want, whether you think quality of life comes through money, relationships, health, wealth, any of that, the end goal or the constant goal is quality of life. And when we reduce our quality of life, we're in a state that we don't like. And when we feel an abundance of quality of life, we are happy with life, you know? So why am I going to put myself in a position to reduce that when I can do the same thing on the other end? So what is, what does quality of life mean? And like, how, how would you define that? I cannot define it for you, but I can damn sure define it for me. Quality of life for me means preserving the relationships that I value. It means progressing in the life that I want currently and being open to the life that I might want in the future. I have done a lot of personal growth and I try and help people find their personal growth. Not, I don't want you to have my growth. You know, I want you to find what you value and what is your quality of life. The best way to answer this question is to really ask you back, What is it that you value most? And are you doing what you know you can be to increase that? Because if not, maybe you're actively lowering your quality of life by taking inaction. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, I just, I just don't, I'm not making a choice. Well, the lack of choice is a choice itself, whether that's managing my blood sugars, whether that's, you know, improving my relationships, it's hard. And there are days where you're not going to be perfect because that's normal, but we have to do something for something to change. And if quality of life to us means improving relationships, improving your body, uh, resting more, whatever that is, are you doing what you need to do to get what you say you want? The hardest, probably most aggressive, but like real quote that I can paraphrase is 
your priorities are not what you say they are. They're what you do. Mm -hmm. And that sucks to hear, but it's so real. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think a lot of our listeners are at that spot. You know, we talk a lot about quality of life, self-care, longevity, and they're probably thinking about what's important to them and what are their priorities. But it's the hard part is taking that action, you know, taking the daily action and doing what you say, which is what you just said. Well, and especially I was just going to say for people like if they're, you know, let's think of a single mother who's raising her kids and is in a job that she hates and but needs the money and is exhausted from the kids and whatever, like, you know, she can define her quality of life, but the steps for her to get there may be more challenging than someone else that maybe doesn't have that, you know, situation as difficult. Of course. And that's where we never want to compare difficulties because it's definitely not an adversity competition right. because we could frame it differently. You know, I could mm-hmm. frame that same situation as she has no time. Her kid requires so much attention. She's exhausted. She's not where she wants to be in life. Or I could also say she's providing for her kid enough. She's giving her kid something a lot of kids wish they had, which is attention from their parent, even if it's for five minutes. She is enjoying a kid that millions of women will never experience it framing, you know, now we Mm -hmm. never want to do adversity, like comparison of better or worse, but we want to say, can you find quality of life in your current life? Because if you can't one, obviously there needs to be a change, but two, maybe it's a matter of perspective because I know I've been with like my dog or I've been with a friend and I'm not at the business level. I want to be at. I'm not speaking as much as I want to be. I've done so well, but there's more I want. And if that carrot on the stick mentality keeps me from quality of life, what happens if I could be completely happy or content in the moment talking with you right now? We're three people trying to help people, but also connecting and just being present with this. What happens if this is enough? What happens if my quality of life in this moment is exactly where it needs to be? Am I busy? Are you busy? Do you have things to do later? Probably I do. But does that take away from the moment right now? It doesn't have to. And now a quick shout out to our sponsor, Organifi. Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offers plant-based nutrition made with high quality ingredients. Each Organifi blend is science-backed to craft the most effective doses with ingredients that are organic and free of fillers and contain less than three grams of sugar per serving. I discovered Organifi about three years ago and fell in love with the gold chocolate blend, which I enjoy in the evenings. I love that it contains ashwagandha, which reduces stress and supports a healthy cortisol level. And it really gives me that fix when I want something chocolatey or sweet in the evening. And it's perfect and nice and calming before bed. And I'm really enjoying the Organifi green juice, which has a ton of superfoods in it. And it's so much easier than juicing. And it's also great if you struggle to get your greens in. Each Organifi blend is easy to use by simply mixing it with water. It's great on the go and there's no compromise in quality for taste. Organifi takes great pride in offering the best tasting superfood products on the market at a price less than $3 a day. You can experience Organifi's high quality superfoods too by heading over to Organifi.com slash living well. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash living well and use our code living well for 20% off your entire order. 
Well, I, I think that. that's where, yeah, like we think about quality of life and we sometimes look to what other people are doing and the external and what we think, you know, optimal quality of life means, but it's like really reflecting. And like you said earlier, like it depends on everyone's different. So if we just kind of go back to basics a little bit to improve how we manage, you know, our physical and mental well-being and all those things encompass quality of life. How can we do that? Like what suggestions do you have to kind of remove some of those negative connotations of self-care? Cause I think like in the last several years, it just become such a buzzword and, you know, oh, self-care, self-care, but what does that really mean? And to your point, self-care could just be having this conversation today because yeah. it lights you up and it energizes you. And so just, you know, how can we kind of get back to basics a bit when it comes to self-care? I'll give some examples too. Uh, we've definitely added too many, in my opinion, too many negative connotations with certain words. Selfish. When you hear selfish, you probably think a negative connotation. But when you're on a plane and the oxygen masks drop down, what's the first direction they give you? Do yourself and before your children. Your mouth. <laughs> because, and this is this is one of those, like, I, I live my life by this philosophy. You have to be selfish before you can be selfless. You cannot build the top of a building before you build the foundation. If you give away too much, if you give away too much, you have nothing to give to other people again, because you didn't preserve yourself. You have to be good yourself before you start just making all these deposits, you know, withdrawals in everyone else. But like, when is it your time? It's not negative to be focused on yourself. It's really not negative. Think about what's the most selfless thing you do. And this is definitely an argumentative philosophy. I'm just throwing that out there. But what do you volunteer? Let me guess. That makes you feel good. Do you, are you a people pleaser? Let me guess. That makes you feel good. What do you do that doesn't make you feel good? And it probably still makes you feel good in some way, shape or form. You give yourself to the point of detriment. That's actually not even going to bring that up deeply, but that's actually a, a symptom of narcissistic personality disorder. If we look at the DSM five, you know, so a lot of the stuff we do, the majority of the stuff we do, I'd argue we do get a benefit from, and that's not bad. It is not bad to take care of yourself. You know, it starts with deciding what do you need to do to get slightly better in your own opinion? What are the things that you're doing that are currently holding you back? And what are the things, you know, you could add simply that could make it a little bit better. One big thing, let's say I have a bunch of books. Let's say I don't read enough. I want to read more, but I don't have time to read. I just lied to myself because I could read one page. And what do most people say? That's not enough. Why is that not enough? Because if you read one page a day for 365 days versus for 365 days, you told yourself it's not enough. One person read 365 pages. The other person read nothing because it wasn't enough. Yeah. Right. Oh, go to the gym one day a week. That's not enough. The person who went to the gym one day a week for 52 weeks, went to the gym 52 times. The other person went zero because it wasn't enough. Well, I think it's like doing something is always going to be better than doing nothing. Yes. And we have to convince ourselves that because it's so easy to say, well, it's not enough. If I'm not mm -hmm. perfect, I won't do anything. Time passes no matter what. So five years from now is going to be five years from now. You're either going to be where you're going to be in five years, or you're going to be five years behind saying, I wish I would have started five years ago. Time waits for no one. So instead of self-sabotaging, which I talk about by saying all these things I can't do, with diabetes, for example, my diabetes, I've used every technology possible you can imagine. And I feel like everyone else was benefiting from the technology that they were using. So I used it, but it didn't work for me. So I almost felt guilty because I wasn't like everyone else. 
And I found myself falling back into that negative quality of life where I was like, see, I'm not normal. I'm broken. And I had to catch myself and say, what happens if I had to adapt a little differently? So I went back to old school, you know, shots. I use a, a needles and insulin, you know, out of a vial and people are like, what? But I have advanced tech, you know, I have uh, implanted CGM. It's called Eversense and it's in there for six months. Oh, that works for me. Interesting. That, that works for me, but I'm on shots. People are like, wait, so you have the most advanced tech in your arm, but then you use <laughs> <Yeah>. like archaic, <laughs> that, but that's, that's the quality of life I'm talking about. It's custom to you. Mm-hmm. Who, who is anyone else to tell me how I should manage not only my diabetes, but my life? Same thing with you. Someone could probably say, oh, you should do a podcast differently. You should target this group. You should talk about this. Okay, you do it then. You do it for your life because you guys got this down. This is your thing. This is my thing. My thing is my life and I'm going to manage it the way I think I need to do it best. No, and Stephanie and I talk a lot about bio-individuality, which is essentially what you're talking about, where you only know what's good for you, right? Like Stephanie can't tell me what I need to do and I can't tell her what she needs to do and- you know, even when you say that about our podcast, like we've had a number of coaches tell us, you know, different things to do, and they're all trying to help us. And we appreciate that so much. But some of the things we're just kind of like, yeah, that doesn't feel right to us. Like we like, we like the way we do things. Yeah. And we just have right. to stick to, we have to stick to what we want and what we know feels right to us. There's a balance, you know, there's a balance yep. of being self-aware enough and being open enough to have an honest conversation with yourself and saying like, okay, just because I'm used to doing it this way, doesn't mean it's optimal for me. You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, one of the phrases I do hate most is uh, don't fix what's not broken. Oh, I Mm -hmm. hate that phrase so much. (laughs) Because if that was the case, we would be using candles instead of electricity. We'd be using horses instead of cars. It's not about don't fix what's not broken. It's about like, how can we optimize what we're doing in a way that doesn't lower our quality of life? There has to be balance. Cause we can't just be stuck in our ways. How many people are like, I have 30 years experience. No, no, no. You have two years experience repeated 15 times, you know, like right. you, you have the same, <laughs> you know, did you ever keep growing? Like we need to decipher. And that's where the balance in, in life is. Are you doing, uh, are you growing? Are you progressing? Are you optimizing? But in line with your quality of life without going into hustle culture where you're like, go, 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 never sleep, go, never rest. Like, okay, let's calm down a little bit. We have to find a happy medium. Right. You have to embrace some change, right? For that growth to happen. Absolutely. Um, And I think like, as you're just, I'm just thinking out loud as you're talking about this, but it makes me think like, even with our podcast coaching, like, of course we want to grow and we want to embrace change and we want to get to, you know, the next level, but what is the next level? It's what is the next level for us, right? Yes. That may yes, be different yes. than, you know, some huge podcasters next level. It's oh, I love what that you works said for that. us. I love that you said that. So as a speaker, you know, I've been growing my speaking business over the last five years. I started off not charging. And then I got to the point where I made some, someone offered me money to speak. And I'm like, this is insane. And now it's to the point where I'm a, I'm a relatively high level speaker, but in the beginning, I wanted to get to the next level. It just wasn't my next level. So I was struggling so hard. Like I was like, I wanted to be that guy. I wanted to be that girl, you know? And I was like, why am I not making it? Because it wasn't me. It wasn't for me. I had to find my own path. And unfortunately, and fortunately, that path didn't already exist. So I had to create it. 
And in creating it, I've created a whole world of possibility in the speaking world where now I'm helping other speakers doing all this stuff. And I love what I do, but I had to go through it. I had to find my next level. And I'm, I like that you said that I'm going to toy around with that after this podcast, because like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> finding your next level, not the next level, super important. Yeah, absolutely. So can we talk about like noise in our heads? I know we have all have so much noise in our heads and you discuss this in your book, The Upper Hand, which I recommend all our listeners go out and read because it's a pretty powerful book. And I like how you describe the catch challenge change concept. And I'm wondering if you can talk with us a little bit about that. Absolutely. So just on the noise topic, uh, just want to let everyone know, I don't shut the hell up in my head. Like I talk so much in my head. I'm like, I always have noise. So it takes constant effort to combat certain noises. You know, for me, I'm like, am I, am I crazy? You know, (laughs) (laughs) but the catch challenge chain thing was I needed a physical representation for how I acknowledge thoughts and kind of reframe thoughts and how I help other people do the same thing. And this is something I use with whether it's private coaching or when I'm speaking with organizations on overcoming adversity or even change management, you have to be aware of the thought to even do anything with it. And a lot of people, the whole saying, you can't lead a horse to water, we can't make a drink. You can't sell an empty seat. I can't give an idea to a person who isn't willing to listen. So you have to be willing to listen to yourself first. Is there something you're going through that you might be making worse? And in my book, I do talk about a way to even start that is, do you talk to yourself like a person you love? Because I know damn well, uh, we have these this inner negative monologue where like, you suck, you're never going to make it, it's never going to work, you're not as good as them. But if someone you love presented you with the same problems you're going through, you'd be like, don't say that about yourself. That's terrible. You're going to find a way. You're great. You're amazing. Why don't we speak our way, speak that that way to ourselves, you know? So you have to catch, is it a negative monologue? Is it a a narrative that you're running with? Is it a behavior you keep repeating that's self-sabotaging you? Once you catch it, you have to challenge and say, is this true? That seems very easy, but not all feelings are facts. That was a tough one for me because managing blood sugars, I'm like, Oh my God, you know, I have a high blood sugar right now. I'm going to like, I'm, I'm going to end up getting complications from this. Like, why did I automatically create an absolute from a temporary situation? Now, could I absolutely, could I not? Absolutely. Why am I choosing to run with one or the other? Why don't I just stay in the moment and say, what can I do right now to make this better? What can I learn from this moving forward? So I have to challenge that and say, not all feelings are facts. Cool. So maybe that's not true and let's change it. And if maybe that's not true, why don't we run with something that's more in line with creating quality of life? What could I change that to? Well, I had high blood sugar. There's no reason to tell myself an excessive story about that. I don't know if you've ever accidentally over-seasoned food, but it tastes pretty terrible. Yeah. We do that. We do that with our stories all the time. You know, like you drop a plate on the ground. You're like, oh my God, I dropped the plate. I was working 20 hours and you know, and I'm like so busy now and I got to get a new plate and that's, everything sucks. Or the person drops the plate and they yell, Opa, and they're dancing on tables. Like, what is the difference? (laughs) You know, the reality is the only thing that happened was the plate broke. Everything else is the story you decide to tell yourself. So what is your, what is your plate breaking? Is it not getting enough views on a podcast? Is it not getting the speaking gig you want? Is it the relationship didn't work out? Is what is yours? Now I'm not saying it's not bad to you, but I am saying why make it worse? 
Why make it worse? Don't right. over-season your stories. And it's not, you talk a little bit about this in the book, and I can even relate this to my own life, is people take lessons from the past or experiences in the past, and then they create these behaviors. And then they're like, oh, like they're in this negative self-talk pattern. And it's just this like self-deprecating narrative, right? And I like what you said about like asking yourself the question, is it true? Because I think, I feel like Byron Katie or someone else uses that. And I've actually told my husband to use that with me when I get into this rut. And he'll be like, is it true? And then of course, when he does it, even though I told him to ask me that question, I get, I get annoyed with him for it, right? But I guess, how can someone shift their mindset and get rid of those patterns that are running, that, those negative patterns that have been going on probably for years and years? I mean, if this is something you were exposed to all the time growing up from your parents and other people, it's not easy to just like, oh, one day I'm just going to like shift it and it's going to all, you know, I'm going to think more positively and scream Opa, you know, I don't know. Yeah, definitely. So <laughs> I think one of my favorite things is like people telling me it's not easy. I'm like, where and what I was talking about, did I say it was easy? I'm like, basically when someone says that's not easy, I say the sky is blue. And they're like, I'm like, yeah, we're both talking about things that are true and they're not relevant. Nowhere did I talk about easy. I was just going to say, knowing that it's not easy, like what would be your first step to well, doing that hard e work? Easy or hard, it doesn't matter. You know, easy or hard, it doesn't matter. What matters is getting started. And we have to ask ourselves, if you wanted to become a professional basketball player starting today, could it happen today? Probably not. Most likely not. But what would you need to do to even begin that? You'd probably need to buy a basketball. Then you'd probably need to start dribbling. And then eventually we get to the point where we would start shooting and missing shots. And then we'd still have to start shooting and missing shots and maybe making one here and there. And then we'd have to work on our footwork and then we'd have to get stronger. There's a lot of things we need to do, but again, time passes regardless of whether you do that or not. So you're either going to be more advanced along that, that journey of getting better, so to speak, or you're not. It starts with the little steps and you, we can't undermine the little things. I should be so much farther ahead. I should, no, no, no. Where's mm -hmm. this timeline you're creating of yourself? What is this fabricated timeline? It's the little things we need to do over time. If we've conditioned ourselves for years to have this negative inner monologue, we've gotten really good at it. You, when you practice something, you usually get better at it. So we need to practice the other side, which means we're going to suck at it in the beginning. And you have to be willing to suck at it in the beginning. And you have to be willing to do it over and over. And over. What's that whole 10,000 hours makes a professional or whatever. Yeah. Have you put in your 10,000 hours or did you read one quote, wish your life is better. And now you're sad that it's not. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's like, you have to be really keyed in to making that change, right? Like you do actively, because actively, it, you know, I'm assuming like Stephanie, when you asked John to remind you, it's because you get in a pattern and you, it's hard to, to know when you're in it or to like step outside of that pattern. And actually, you know, you, it's like, sometimes we need someone to shake us and be like, you're doing it. You got to stop or whatever, just to yes. acknowledge and realize that that's happening. And you there just made me a sense of willingness. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But sometimes we're on autopilot and yeah. even if you're willing, you, you can get stuck. And it makes me think of, I think it was you I was listening to on another podcast where you talked about people wanting to make a change in their fitness routines and they buy the shoes and they buy the gear and they buy the water <laughs> bottle. But actually that's all lovely and great, but you have to actually take your first few steps or 
you know, <laughs> you buy the basketball, but you actually have to try dribbling or shooting or something, right? You have to like you go to. past that, the gear. <laughs> yeah. What do you, and I did the same thing with like photography and videography. Like when I first got started, I was like, I need the best camera. And I'm like, well, I need the best lens. I need a better light. I need a better setup. Mm-hmm. Yep. I need when in reality I had everything I needed. And that's a perfect example of we often have everything we need right now to start. We just, one, we're putting it off because we're procrastinating. And yes. two, we're looking for quick dopamine hits, which is like buying something, buying some gear or hiring someone or paying someone to take responsibility from us because responsibility sucks. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good to say, this is what I need to do. And it hasn't happened because I haven't done it yet. That doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good. And it can go quick to to blaming. It can cross over too far with our permission. So we have to give ourselves permission to think introspectively, but at the same time, don't go past to blaming. You know, the blaming does nothing. The responsibility is amazing, but responsibility to finger pointing is a problem. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Also, don't be afraid to reach out for help too, whether it's like listening to podcasts like this or talking with friends or family or finding therapists if you have access to that or finding free resources within your community that have different meetups. Like accessibility is always going to be an issue, especially for underserved marginalized groups. And I get that, but finding any potential resources you have, whether it's people, you know, uh, the internet, going to the library, anything literally anything is better than nothing. So a little effort towards what you have access to, I think is is vital. You're absolutely right. So switching gears just a little bit, what was it like being on the Titan Games with Dwayne the Rock, Rock Johnson? I know you kind of mentioned that after you posted the video on YouTube that you got this call from him and you had all these hits. So any like favorite part or funny story or anything you want to share? Yeah. So I almost hung up and I almost blocked it because I thought it was fake. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I thought it was fake. So, um, yeah, they were, they were like, Oh, we want to do an interview video interview and stuff. And I'm like, okay, cool. It was at night. And I'm like, this is sketchy. I'm like, this is sketchy. I don't know what this is, but like, okay, we'll see. And I did the interview and I was like, Oh, that was really fun. That was awesome. You know? I was like, there's no way it would go past this because the likelihood is, you know, slim to none. 200,000 people, I think, applied for the show and I didn't apply for the show. They ended up calling me. They're like, hey, we want to fly you out to uh, LA and I want you to compete against like 200 other people for the show. And I was like, what? That's crazy. So I went out and did like a 12 hour combine. It was insane. Like all the stuff we had to do. I mean, I did that and there were so many incredible athletes. I'm like, that was incredible experience. There's no way I'm going to make it to the 30 that they're going to pick. I made it to the 30 that they picked. And of, <laughs> wow. of the 30, they picked two guys to be on like the cover of all the billboards and stuff. And I was one of them. So uh, that was insane. And seeing The Rock, he was so down to earth and so incredible. Uh, I did tell him that I can deadlift more than him. So that was pretty exciting. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. <laughs> Um, but he was super down to earth and I ended up losing my episode, but, uh, he came down and hugged me and stuff. And like, I got to share my message after that and thousands of messages of people who also hid their disability or people who just identified so many pictures of kids with disabilities, watching the TV screen, like getting Mm -hmm. chills, thinking about it, you know, Um, it was, it was incredible because I, I was who I was before the show and after the show. 
And while it helped, like my message is why I was there. And my message is why I'm doing what I'm doing now. And like, I vow to be the person I never really had growing up. And I am making sure of that. So I'm just like, thankful I got to be on that. But that propelled me to know I'm on the right path. And how can yeah. we find that? Is it still out there? It's. I think it's on YouTube right now. It was on okay. Netflix for a while, but I believe it's still on YouTube. Okay. I've actually never okay. seen that show before. It was cool. It was really cool. Yeah. We'll try to find it. And I was actually looking for it yesterday and I to link it up. initially, but yeah. we'll link it up in the show notes. Cause that would be fun. And you're right. Just having that, I don't want to say like a role model, but someone that's like you, if you will. And so you, you know, for all the kids out there, which I think is so important, especially, you know, those teenage years and even younger people, kids are mean, right? They're insecure and they're growing, going through stuff and they're mean. And just to have you and others that are like, telling your story and trying to get people to not hide whatever it is. It could be a physical disability or a a mental one and just tell their story and be a little bit vulnerable like you are and know that you're not alone. can really go a long way to helping someone. Absolutely. Representation is extremely important. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just amazing work that you're doing. I appreciate it. Yeah. So Chris, I'm wondering what you would say to our listeners, like, if they're currently having a rough time right now, or maybe they're feeling down on themselves and they are wanting to, you know, take that step forward to get out of their funk, what would, what would you suggest? I know you've you know, you've suggested a lot of different things to do, but what would be that kind of first step to just get out of this rut? (laughs) I think definitely have a, a real internal conversation with yourself. Like my book, really focuses on internal communication, self-communication, because we hear that whole communication as key thing. And we've heard that our whole lives. Communication is key. But I argue that that's step two, because step one is self-communication is key. If you can't communicate with yourself, how could you expect to communicate with others? You know, so have that real conversation saying like, okay, what is going on? Is it as bad as I'm and not saying it's not? Is it as bad as I'm saying it is? Am I making this worse than it needs to be? Are there things I'm doing or not doing that is making my situation worse? Am I telling myself a story of I should be somewhere else? Am I telling myself a story of a timeline that I should have that I made up in my head? Am I punishing myself for not hitting milestones for an unrealistic timeline? How many people do that? Like, I know I was super guilty of that. Oh, all of us probably do. Time. Any sort of entrepreneur probably does something of <laughs> yes. that nature. So yes, I still do that. Not, it's not right to beat ourselves up. There's a difference between accountability, responsibility, and punishment or blame. You know, we have to we have to take responsibility. Yes, but we also don't need to beat ourselves into the ground. So ask yourself these questions. You know, is this something that I can do something about? In my book, I do have a diagram which I love. It's asking people, do you have a problem? Yes or no. If you have a problem, yes. Can you do something about the problem? Yes. Great. Then you don't have a problem at all. But, <laughs> but, but if you have a problem and you can't do anything about the problem, great. You don't have a problem at all. Mm-hmm. It's mm. tough. It's tough because it wow. is not your problem to solve. Right. Right? If you can do nothing yeah. about it, you can do nothing about it. The worst, I don't know if you've ever had a car stuck in the mud or something and the tires are spinning. That's what happens when we focus on things we can't do anything about. It's like the weather, right? 
Like I have had someone saying to me, oh my gosh, what if the weather's bad? What if the weather's bad? It it looks like it's going to rain every day while we're X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, well, that sucks, but it's so out of our control. So why are we even having this conversation? Oh yeah. It's, it's the, the what ifs. I know I learned that in, uh, what is it? Seven habits of highly successful people, Stephen Covey. Yeah. Uh, circle of concern versus circle of influence. Basically, uh, circle of concern states we live in this world of what ifs. Mm-hmm. We're paralyzed by the what ifs. Circle of influence is a much smaller circle that if we move into that circle, we're focused on what we can do, what we can do with where we're at. We take away the what ifs and we focus on the what we can do. That really changed my life, you know? And uh, I'm going to do a quick little experiment for you guys right now. And I love this. Um, what are what are feelings that come up with when you like a flat tire? What feelings do you have? Annoyed, frustrated, Annoyed, yeah. frustrated. Yeah. Anything else? Maybe angry, maybe any of those, right? Yeah. Yeah. All those. Cool. Well, you guys are lying and <laughs> I'm going to show you okay. that actively because when you drive by someone with a flat tire, you don't feel any of those emotions. So it's not the flat tire. It's the fact that it happened to you. Often it is not what happens. It's our interpretation of what happens and the story we tell ourselves past the interpretation. So yes, it sucks, but it's not the thing that sucks. It's because we're telling ourselves, well, now my day sucks. Now this, now this, now this, what if, what if we've built so much, we overseasoned the story because the flat tire does not cause any emotion, only the fact that it happened to you. Mm-hmm. It takes really focusing and saying like, okay, is it the situation that's pissing me off? Or is it the ramifications that I'm imagining in the situation that's making me mad? I have a quote hanging up right here and it says, we suffer more in imagination than in reality. Oh, I believe that. Yeah. By Seneca, we suffer more in imagination than reality because we tell ourselves these what if scenarios and we should be, we should be the next Steven Spielberg because we create these motion (laughs) pictures of negativity and sadness beyond all belief. And we believe it so much that we cry and get upset about things that haven't happened. We suffer in our imagination more than we do in our reality. Oftentimes. Okay. I think I'm going to tell that quote to my husband. He's going to be like, that's you, Stephanie. Like that (laughs) just encapsulates so many conversations that we've had over the years. Um, Oh yes. Oh yes. Yeah. Very powerful. powerful. Yeah. I have it hanging up in my room for a reason because it's something I need to look at every day and I'm quick to spiral. I'm quick to just like run all the bad scenarios out. I try and practice this like controlled pessimism thing where I'm like, if you can imagine the bad and the good situations, you're prepared for anything. But if you spiral too far out of it, it's a problem. Mm -hmm. A lot of people like, no, think positive. I'm like, if you only thought positive, you wouldn't have a spare tire on your car. (sighs) Think about that. Wow. You have yeah. preparation. You probably have a first aid kit. If you thought positive, you would never have a first aid kit. If you thought positive, you would never have a smoke detector. If you thought positive, you would never have a seatbelt. There is a good application of preparing for potentially negative situations. But if that seatbelt stops you from ever driving, that's a problem. Balance, right, right. balance, balance. So, wow, this, I feel like we could keep talking all day Forever. here, but I know we're running <laughs> out of time here, Chris. That's okay. So, can you tell our listeners where can people find you? How can they connect with you, work with you, hire you to speak, buy your book, all those things? 
Yeah. So I built my business on social media. I'm very fortunate that I was able to build a large social following. So everything is just at Chris Rudin for Instagram, uh, YouTube, TikTok, and my website is chrisrudin.com. Whether you just want to have a conversation or you're interested in having me speak, just feel free to message me anywhere. You know, uh, my book is available on Amazon, but I uh, just appreciate anyone listening. And I appreciate you guys for doing this because this helps so many people that need the introspection that need the different perspective to make a choice. So we need more of this. Yeah. And I mean, I think everybody can do that introspection work. Like it's, it's a journey, right? There's no end point. And when you don't need this kind of work anymore. So thank you for sharing all of your um, tips and suggestions and motivation. And Chris, one thing we like to ask all of our guests as we wrap up the conversation is what does the art of living well mean to you? The art of living well to me means having quality of life, finding what quality of life means to you, pursuing it and actively like protecting it. You know, there's a balance of doing the things you need to do for your life and resting and enjoying the relationships, the wealth and all of that. Make the decisions that protect your quality of life. And that is the art of living well. That was so well said, very succinct Mm -hmm. and just true and relevant to everyone. So yeah. Thank you for sharing that and sharing your story. So yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Have a wonderful day. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Art of Living Well podcast. We are so grateful that you joined us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or anyone else you think may benefit from this information. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and tag the Art of Living Well podcast on social media. If you want more inspiration in between episodes, you can find us on social media at the Art of Living underscore well on Instagram and Facebook, where we will share snippets from our daily lives and our journey to living well. Mm-hmm.